turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we will also be in Proverbs chapter 3. So those two places will be key. I'll be looking at other passages too, but those will be key this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verse 5 and 6. It says here, and, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, in looking at that, Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you look at verse 11 and 12, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. That's where he's quoting from. It's a direct quote. Uh, And he says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So the writer of Hebrews is appealing to wisdom, God's wisdom. And wisdom starts with the knowledge of God. And in a very real sense, God is saying in wisdom, trust me to discipline you as my children trust me to bless you the reason for this relationship between father and son and in Proverbs teacher and student reveals that education is not just a matter of memorizing words and relying on information it involves trust and respect between two people And when someone implements that knowledge that they're learning with a relationship with the Lord God himself, it drips down through their character. And if you notice in in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse number 1, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. And verse 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good report in the sight of God and men. And in fact, in this section in Proverbs, he's actually giving four exhortations. The fourth one is the one the Hebrews writer is quoting. The other ones is number one, keep God's commandments, verse 1 through 4. Number 2, rely on the Lord's guidance and understanding, not your own. And number 3, honor the Lord with your provisions. And then he comes to this fourth one, accept the Lord's discipline. I was reading a story of a father who was training his son up in wisdom and hoping that his son would 
come up to his standard academically because he had a very high standard academically and he was always prodding his son to get higher grades and always a little disappointed when he got the report cards uh, that his son didn't really measure up to his excellence always had this disappointment with his son and so he got a letter from the principal and the principal says that you're invited to an award ceremony and so he's wondering in his mind why would I be invited to a award ceremony if my son got grades like this so he reluctantly went sat there and as he was sitting there he's thinking in his mind as other students are going up getting awards for their academics and for this and that and his son is sitting in the back row he's not moving and he's beginning to think to himself my son should have just tried harder why am I here am I just filling a seat did I just get invited so there'd be a crowd and he's thinking all these things and then the principal got up to the podium he got before the microphone and announced for the first time I'm presenting a special award to a young man who has been so exceptional that we couldn't overlook his accomplishment. His name is Gordon, this man's son. He comes to the front, and the principal spends several minutes describing the fine character of this young man, his kindness towards others his trustworthiness his quiet leadership we have never the principal said had a student like gordon in our school he said and there probably will be never be another like him so we're giving you gordon for the first and possibly the last principal's cup award for integrity diligence and decency thank you for what you have brought to our school we needed this more than academics And anyone who gets to know you will be better because of it. And his father sat there, and he says, he's speaking to me because I have not gotten to know my son. When you raise your children, sometimes the world's standard on what, where they should be and what they should accomplish is quite different than God's standard. God's standard is always character always character it doesn't mean academics aren't important but it's always character first so anyone growing up is foolish and often naive and God's word will make them grow out of their foolishness grow, up, grow out of being naive and become wise and the only way for that to happen is that God would be first in everything. That he would be the one who guides you and directs you. So in God's educational schoolroom, as I went down the list, keep the Lord's commandments, follow the Lord's guidance, honor the Lord with your provisions, in God's educational schoolroom, he does not exclude correction. Eldon Woodcock wrote, Wisdom involves 
a right attitude and approach to all areas of life. In spiritual life, it includes a commitment to follow the teachings of a holy and a righteous God who expects his people to reflect his qualities and a moral commandment to do what is right and avoiding that which is wrong. So possibly this next exhortation right here in Proverbs and the writer of Hebrew brings out to those who he's speaking to, especially in light of the verse that came before it, where he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. In other words, that God poured out on Jesus Christ the penalty for unrighteousness, not his own, but ours. So we can be set on a path to live righteously and to be in God's schoolroom so we are educated in the right way. So this exhortation, This exhortation may reveal the real test on trusting God, the real test of real faith. And that's how you respond to your loving Father's discipline. Now the problem is is that we don't always realize God's disciplining us when He is. Because we don't always realize that the the regular, everyday providences that we go through is God's involved with all of them. He's not on the outskirts and comes in once in a while. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you permanently all the time. That means God is always with you. He's always there. And so therefore, this exhortation may, may... be the exhortation that gives you the understanding and the correction that you need to go in the direction you're not going in, you should be going in, but you haven't gone there yet. It's one thing to trust God when the horizon is bright, but what about when suffering comes? It's one thing to trust in wealth, Wealth may cause you to forget God, and suffering, on the other hand, may cause you to alienate yourself from God. Trouble may cause you to alienate yourself from God, but the person of wisdom learns to strike the balance. They learn to see what God is doing in their life. And when trouble comes, when suffering comes, When discipline comes, the first question they're asking is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Because if that's not the first question, we'll usually end up responding to it in a wrong way and not getting the lesson that God wants to teach us. So this morning, let's let's look at the wisdom before us on these pages. And it could be it could very well be one of the most difficult ones to understand, but when understood, the most liberating, self-abasing, purifying, and God-exalting of all of them. Because it will make you more Christ-like. It will make you more holy when you respond correctly. So, again, in verse 11, it says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So under this major heading of accept the Lord's correction, 
I want to look at three things, the nature and definition of divine discipline. Secondly, the nature and wrong response to divine discipline and the nature and encouragement of divine discipline because the last one, the encouragement of divine discipline is that's where the writer of Hebrews picks it up. Haven't you remember, did you forget the, the encouragement you get when you're corrected by God? And so that's where we're going to go next time. But this one, of course, will lead forward to Hebrews because that is where the author is pointing. So let me just consider the, the nature and definition of divine di- discipline. I, make, I must make clear, at least in a very simple way, that discipline is different than punishment. The word punishment means retribution from God, which is intended to do harm. But discipline means hardship through which God intends to do us good. Why? Because we have a loving Heavenly Father disciplining with their children. Now we become children based on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're brought into the family of God when that happens. And now our relationship to God has changed from one being an enemy to one being a child of God, someone in God's family. And so therefore, that's how God's going to deal with us. So discipline is in God's educational system is the thing he uses to correct us, and it's always intended for the good. In fact, in Corinthians 11, when, when Paul is telling the Corinthian church about their abuse in the Lord's table, and he says this to them, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Some have died because of their abuse, Christians, of the Lord's table. But if you judge, if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. And then he says this, but when you are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the Lord is going to bring discipline upon his children and he's going to do it for their good, and he's going to do it for his glory. So when a person is in the family of God, they are disciplined by the Father who loves them. The very word discipline in the Hebrew is masar. It means, it means actually has several meanings to it. it. depends on where it's being used in the Word of God. It means correction it means instruction it means to restrain from doing wrong it means to reform by words and it also means to be reformed by actions meaning corporal discipline uh, physical discipline the verb means to chasten to train and to bring someone under so the discipline or training of an individual in areas in which he or she is unruly and does not want to be told at that point they will be brought under the disciplining hand of God. And in fact, in the Septuagint, which of course the writer of Hebrews uses many times, the word also means to train, to teach, discipline, to correct, to whip, to scourge, and to beat. Now, so the word is 
used in this way to take one into the schoolhouse. To take one into the schoolhouse. Maybe to take one into the woodshed. Remember those terms many years ago. Go to the woodshed. You know that's what's going to happen in the woodshed. Right? There's going to be a branch broken off the tree and you're going to bend over and bam, bam, bam. And that's it. So, so one definition has been suggested as this. Whatever parents and teachers do to train, correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help develop them and mature them. That's not a bad discipline. But if you look quickly at Proverbs 19, verse 18, again, the word being used here, it says in Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. It's interesting how that's connected there, right? In other words, discipline yourself. This is going to be in a corporal manner to discipline your son in a way where you're bringing physical pain upon your child in a correct way, in a controlled way, in a way without anger, in a way without manipulation, in a way without abuse, and you're never desiring the death of your child. You're always desiring their correction. Then Proverbs 32, verse 13, it says this again, to the father of wisdom, to the parent who wants to train their children, do not hold back discipline, Proverbs 32, 13, from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Now, I'm reading these things because the Bible is advocating spanking. Would God spank his kids? Would Jesus spank his kids if he had kids? Yes. Why? Because the word of God is the word of God. Uh, and so therefore, he wrote it, and the word is connected to who he is in his attributes and character, and so therefore, he would. There are positive and negative aspects to God's education, and of course, that is one of them. And then in Proverbs twenty-nine seventeen, you don't have to turn there, it says, correct your son... And he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So this very fact that disciplining, both in a positive and a negative way, both in a verbal and a physical way, is in God's mind when it comes to disciplining children. Arthur Pink wrote, Divine discipline is God correcting thee in love, not smiting thee in wrath. You have to get that in your mind. When God punishes his kids, it's never for their destruction. It's always for their maturity and their holiness. So Proverbs views discipline as necessary. A necessary feature of the educational process which helps form a child's character and and sharpens a child's listening skills what's the point of proverbs get your children to listen to your voice the first time get them to listen to your voice the first time right 
listening skills. Johnny, come here. Johnny comes. When you're doing it the second and third time, Johnny's in control, not you. And his listening skills are not where they ought to be. So you need to sharpen those skills. All right? And so that means for Johnny, uh, he needs to most likely be uh, taken care of in, in the private manner, in the woodshed manner. Uh, so discipline is not always for disobedience. It's also for the good of the recipient. Now, let's look at some biblical examples explaining the definition that God uses divine discipline in, in at least three ways in the Word of God. The first way is, is very simple to understand, and that's that of being of correction. God's going to correct behavior. In fact, God uses discipline for personal transgression. If there's sin in your life, he's going to correct you if you don't do the correcting yourself. And a good example of that is found in the Word of God in the life of, of David when David sinned. Remember, it's David sinned with Bathsheba and brought her into his bed as another person's wife, Uriah, and he, then he sends Uriah to the hottest part of the battle, and he, of course, pretty much murders him and takes his wife. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Bible says some uh, things to David that are noteworthy, and it says in verse number 10, it says, Now therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household, and I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, the prophet that came before him, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. In other words, that the discipline given to David was a discipline that was that of corrective discipline and not judgmental discipline. Because if it was judgmental, David should die on the spot. He committed murder. The law says you die. You committed adultery, the law says you die. But he didn't die. God forgave him and corrected him. And of course, sin always has consequences. And the consequences for David was the loss of an infant son by Bathsheba. Several of his sons caused many serious problems within his life. And the sword never departed from David's house. But the result drew David closer to God and helped him to grow and mature, returning back to the narrow path. When, when you read the Psalms, and you read how David was corrected and trained by God in that way, what does he write in Psalm 119? He writes this in verse 71, It was good for me 
what? I was, that I was afflicted. It was good for me. I learned your statutes. And then in verse 75, I know, O Lord, thy judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. So again, David took the Lord's discipline and used it in the right way. He was corrected, and he never went that way again. So it was very profitable for David, even though the consequences of sin were ongoing. The sorrow that came from his own sin was ongoing. And of course, David was a king. He, was, he had much responsibility and was to be an example. But remember where I left off last week in Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, if you and I don't take the weights that hold us down and the sins that easily entangles us and we don't take care of them, what's the next passage of Scripture? The encouragement that will come when God disciplines you for not taking care of what you ought to take care of. Right? So he is telling us, listen, those two general areas that we must play, pay close attention to and be deliberate in our responsibility as believers to lay those things aside where he says in Hebrews 12, 1, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the weights, remember, are those very things that weigh us down in running the race. They're not necessarily sinful, but we must strip them from ourselves because they impede our performance. And I mentioned some of those things last time. They could be habits. They could be earthly pleasures. They could be Leisure, it could be leisurely fun. It could be just spending a lot of time on blogging and internet and Facebook. It could be craving for good times and entertainments. It could be just ordering too many Netflix and bedding down every night to the entertainment mindset that doesn't benefit you and I at all. It just gives us the world stuff in one large dose. We don't need that. So see, those are the, some of the things that you need, and I need to scale down and move out of our life because they're not profitable for running the race. Uh, it could be desire for prosperity and gain. It could be worldly ease and desiring to take the path of the least resistance. It could be associations with people, with clubs, and the list goes on and on and on. So these are the weights that keep us back from running the race. We must shed them just as an athlete sheds his track suit, as I mentioned last week when he goes to, to the starting mark. But it could also be sin. It could be those things that easily entangles us. We need to put those things off because they hamper us. They, they keep us back. And of course, those sins could be anger and hatred and criticism, laziness, covetousness, envy, lust, complaining, grumbling, slander, prayerlessness, hypocrisy and pride, thanklessness, greed, unbelief, and that list also goes on. See, the Lord is saying to us, listen, if you don't take care of them and lay them aside on your own, I will step in as a heavenly father and I will correct you. 
Because, again, I'm not going to let my children act like that. But, you know, we live in a world where if you talk about spanking, if you talk about corporal discipline, you're in trouble. And we need to be wise in that area as believers. But what worldview would incline, is inclined to think that it's wrong to spank a child? You know what kind of worldview is inclined? All the worldviews are inclined. For this reason, a wrong view of God. I'm talking, God's telling us what he does and what he wants us to do. That's what he's telling us here in Scripture. And he's saying it's right. In fact, spanking is quick. To tell a child, go into your room and don't come out until you figure out what you've done wrong, how does that help anybody? How about spanking being quick, clean, and definitive? This is what you've done wrong. Because you've done wrong and you broke the rule, you get a spanking for it. I'm going to spank you this many times. And then the child gets a spanking. They go out of the room. You hug them before they go. You tell them you love them and all that kind of stuff. And in five minutes later, they're bouncing off the walls having a great time. Why? They pay their penalty, right? But they are learning in the process. To send a, room, a kid into a corner and stick your head in the corner, that's humiliating to send them to their room to figure out what they're supposed to do, to have them count to ten, that is all ridiculous. And it does not amend behavior. It seeds bitterness and anger towards the parent. That's what it does. But God's way, what does God's way do? Take care of it in the right way, and it does not produce, unless the parent's doing it wrong, and that could be a possibility, they could be doing it wrong. See, In other words, that if we have a right view of God, it's because God's parenting style is using suffering to discipline his children. It's using leverage for pain to drive out rebellion and disobedience that's in that child's heart, and nothing's going to drive it away unless you, as a parent, apply the needed pressure at the right time with the character of that child, all children being different, right? and knowing what age that it ends. And so discipline starts with a rebellious, strong-willed child. It could be a lot in the beginning, but as they learn, it becomes less and less and less. And by seven, eight years old, it's almost rare to have corporal discipline because you taught them what? To listen to your voice. And if they learn to listen to your voice, they'll learn to listen to God's voice, right? They'll learn to listen to voices of authority. See, that's God's method of disciplining. And so, all that being said, that's for correction. That's the first way. A second way is prevention. That God sends discipline into our life or by way of preventing us. That discipline is in order to prevent often sin. It's uh, a great example. You know the passage. I'm going to read it. Just listen. It's when God gave Paul, a messenger of Satan to buffet him in the flesh, right? Why did God do that? Well, listen to what it says. It's for prevention. It says, and because of the surprising greatness of the revelation for this reason, he kept me from exalting myself. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, what? To keep 
me from exalting myself. So, see, it's preventing Paul to exalt himself and others exalt to exalt him. He's given this thorn in the flesh. Why? Because Paul was caught up to the third heaven. He saw things that no man ever saw, right? And so, therefore, he knew things no man ever knew before Paul. And so, therefore, he was given this thorn in the flesh to keep him in, in, in his place. So, Paul was given the discipline not to be, to keep him from being proud, to f- prevent him from being proud. Let's put it that way. And so the affliction never left Paul. He prayed three times. God says, no, I'm not taking it away. It's, gonna, it's needed for you in your ministry and your service to me, so it's going to stay there. So the result was a thorn, and the, po- uh, the apostle was made more conscious of his weaknesses and God's strength. And where he finally, in the end, he says, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. I accept what you've given me. And then he says this, for when I am weak, and you're strong, and there's the principle that we all must learn as Christians that when you are weak, God is strong. When you are strong and exalting yourself, God's usually not involved. It's usually your own flesh, right? And it's a strange principle to learn, uh, but nonetheless, it's true. When you realize who you are and who God is and what God's doing in your life, and just, you're often amazed when God even uses you to speak, right? They step back and say, wow, I, I, wow, I said something for God. And, and it, sounded, it actually sounded rational and clear. And, uh, you know, and you step back and say, wow, God could use me. You know, and, but you give God the glory. God wants to use us, but he doesn't want you to exalt yourself. So it doesn't matter what gift he's given you, what measure of gift he's given you. God always gets the glory. So sometimes he sends discipline for preventing you from sinning. That could be a handicap in your life. That could be a person in your life. That could be a circumstance in your life. He's holding you back. And it may be for a short period of time. It may be for a whole lifetime like Paul. But nonetheless, God has done it. And a third way God does it is by way of instruction. By way of instruction. God disciplines in order to instruct us. Now, the great example here is Job. Job is the one who, when God sent something on him, man, he had all the suffering any man would ever want on this earth. He had family bereavement. He lost his property. He had grievous body of bodily afflictions and they came all fast and one after another and uh, but what did, what did God use that for at the end of, of Job what did Job learn you know what Job learned he was instructed in the character and ways of God Almighty he was instructed in the character and ways of God Almighty If you want, John, if you're jotting down a passage, you can look at Job 42, verse 3 and 4, and then verse 5 and 6. But I'm not going to look there right now. The second point that I want to bring up is the, the natural and the wrong response to the divine discipline. M- meaning that the 
our natural inclination when discipline comes is to resist it, right? To say, why me? Why now? Why to this extent? The why, why, why questions come out. So if you look back in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, well, there's two warnings given. So the way God's children respond to God's discipline may be the reason if they ever know why discipline came in the first place. And here's the first warning. Do not reject, right? Do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Don't do it. Why? You've been learning all these things about the Lord. Don't reject when He steps in and He corrects you when, or He prevents sin or He instructs you in something. Don't refuse it. Don't despise it. That is not the response we ought to have. William, uh, Puritan William Arnaud has an insightful definition of the word. He says it means to make light of anything, to cast aside as if it had no meaning and no power. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5, translates it like this, a little bit different than Proverbs. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly. There it is. What? The discipline of the Lord. So Arnaud went on to say, the affliction comes on the particular sufferer And he, the sufferer only looks to the cause, the immediate cause. And they look no further. They refuse often to look to the higher links in the chain and refuse to make it occasion with a communion with God. In other words, they are not asking, Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? They are not asking, Lord, what weights are holding me down that I'm not putting off that you want me to put off. Lord, what sins that so easily entangles me am I not getting out that you want me to get out? And they're also understanding this. Lord, you're my father. You're not doing this to harm me. You're doing this for my good, for my correction, to, for a greater holiness, for a greater walk with you. Then let me respond to it in the correct manner. Not with the negative to reject it that's an improper attitude and that's failing to ask the wrong questions and then secondly he says this in verse 11 don't loathe his reproof different word he uses there loathing means to here be grieved by what's happening in your life to feel uh heart, to feel actually sickened by it hebrews 12 records it like this nor faint when you are reproved by him you get weakened by it because you're thinking of it all wrong so how, how do we reject and loathe god's discipline well there's several ways we do it number one we do it by callousness that means a lack of regard of god's admonitions and instructions we always have to look at our life as god's involved with us all the little details about us if you're getting sick if something's happening to you that is 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 different or and as as uh, peter says it's not strange for trials and tribulations to come in and god used that for the good that's normal christianity except it's not normal today in at least modern day flow of evangelical thought but it is normal biblically 
uh, to have those things happening to us. So it's, it's really, callousness is a lack of regard for God, for his admonitions, for his instructions. You view them as common and or inevitable troubles. You never perceive the Heavenly Father has some special design in them just for you. So the discipline hardens the heart intended to melt the heart. Second way is complaining, grumbling, murmuring, bellyaching, under-the-breath remarks. You ask yourself, why do I deserve this? I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I'm supposed to be a Christian. You become envious because others around you seem to be carrying a lighter load than you. So Christians need to take heed because God does not go lightly with those who murmur or grumble. So God will keep the pressure on your life. He will keep the discipline in your life until the behavior is amended and the sin is repented of. You get that? So even to get other people to pray you out of the the distress you're in at that time, the discipline you're under at that time, if you're even looking at it as God's discipline, is not of no avail. God will keep you there until he trains you in his school of education by way of corporal discipline. Another way of responding in the wrong way is carelessness. Fail to mend your ways and habits. You just despise God's rod. Whether he sends sickness or troubles or bereavements, And you have not come to set them apart by prayerful examination. And that's what we ought to do when God's discipline comes. Prayerfully examine your life. And that's one thing the Lord's table gives us an opportunity to do every month. You come to examine yourself. This is part of it. So look at yourself right now. What troubles and things have come into your life in the last couple weeks, the last month? What, do you think God had nothing to do with that if you're a believer? You think that he took, was, he's taken by surprise? Have you considered why? Have you considered yourself? And have you examined yourself to see what you need to correct? And then, of course, the word means to faint. So fainting could be one bad response. You just want to give up. And you say, God, it's too much for me to bear. And yet we know in Scripture that God will never give you more than you're able to bear. Right? They may even say, well, I guess I'm not a child of God. So therefore, they, they, want, they want to quit. Not that they do quit. They want to quit. So, in man's every rejection, they fail to see God the Father lovingly at work They take their eyes off the goal. What is the goal anyway? Doesn't it say in Romans 8? And we know that God causes what? All things to work together for the good to those what? Who love God. Who are called according to his purpose. And for whom he foreknow, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Isn't that not the goal? that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And then Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
God's not going to keep you there forever. And that's a good way to look at it. So see, left to ourselves, we tend to suppress the God-given knowledge and wisdom about discipline and learn usually to run away or taken up by our old, our old evil imaginations that uh, want to go into another direction. So whenever one tends to obey the way of the good father's wisdom, reluctantly or defiantly, and sometimes even gives a good show of external compliance, but veils the insubordinate heart before other people, then that is, of course, a heart disposition that we want to avoid. So today, you may need to pull some weeds. You may need to lay aside some weights. You may need to forsake some sin. And your attitude towards God's reproof should be always that of humility and teachability, because that's exactly what the Lord wants you to do. Look at trials as proof of God's love. Look at trials as proof that God wants to purge you and He wants to prune you and He wants to purify you. That's what He wants to do. That's His intention. And you know what? You're not going to get away from it. You can't run from it as a believer. And then Job, what does he say? Job says this, Behold how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise, Job says, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for He inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and His hands also heal. That's who God is. God always has a purpose, never does things randomly in everything. Then there's a third thing in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 12, and that is the, the nurture and encouragement of divine discipline. For it says in verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. It is hard to see discipline as good. I must admit that. But hardships and testings and sickness and grief is the mark of, of love for the child of God. It's a show when we respond correctly of us being delighting in God and God delighting in us. So God intervenes because he loves us and wants us to grow in maturity of faith and in trust. Even in the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 3, verse 19, those whom I love, what? I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And that's where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock talking about the church if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and i will dine with him and he with me and in other words if you take the lord's discipline all right correctly you learn the lessons and what happens you're back into fellowship with god never breaking the relationship but breaking the ongoing fellowship yes can't break a re- the relationship with the father that's going to be forever eternal so though so therefore discipline should be accepted as part as his mysterious educational purposes because his discipline is always for our good and his glory so no matter how clearly god marks out the path of righteousness some miss it 
and some have to be brought back to it. Some are careless and have to be brought back to it. Some are stubborn and have to be taught not to be stubborn. Some have left the path and need to be brought back to the path. So the Lord would need then as a caring father to discipline them, point out their mistakes, and return them to the right path, to the right road. Love is always God's motivation for correction. So if we take it correctly, if we respond to it correctly, then what happens to us is that the Bible says that we are well-pleasing to him. We are well-pleasing in his sight. We end up taking more delight in God. We also discover, maybe on a higher level, that he loves us more than we ever thought he did. That also we are his children, and you're not making that connection all the time that you are a child of God now. The seed of God's in you. The spirit of God's in you. No one could snatch you out of his hand. No one could take you out of his family. You are there forever. And so maybe you're learning more of that and that he is your father. And so even if you didn't have a father or you had a bad example of a father, when you come to the word of God, you find out that the heavenly father who is now your father because of the Lord Jesus Christ, right, is a good father and knows how to bestow good gifts on his children and he in his educational process he will not hold back corporal discipline from you if you and I need it, right? Matter of fact, as Dwayne read this morning, if you are without discipline, you're what? You're illegitimate children. That means you don't belong to God's family. So that means everybody who's a believer who names the name of Jesus Christ will be disciplined by God, the Father himself, in your life. So be looking for it. Be looking for how God is working. That he is our Father, and God disciplines the wise for their own good and profit. So what's the reward? The reward for the patient and grateful acceptance of reproof is a deepening awareness of one's affectionate relationship to God usually finding God now at the center of your life and understanding that God has to be first in all things. Our culture, yea, our even church, in a general sense, has moved away from interpreting the suffering of life as part of God's necessary discipline. They moved away from that. There has been a failure to learn from our struggles, something of the character of Christ. So God really won't let us go on that way. Fatherly correction is for the child's good. In fact, this is the principles that have been laid out a long time ago in Scripture. Deuteronomy tells us that thus you are to know in your heart, it says, that the Lord your God was disciplining you as a man disciplines his son. And then Proverbs 13 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, 
And he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That means they're not going to let up until this behavior is amended and corrected. They're not going to let up. That's when you love your children, when you do that. And sometimes it's not always corporal. Sometimes it's by voice commands. Sometimes it's pressing them to do what's right, a right thing to do. I mean, so there are ways to discipline other than that as your children get older. Some of my kids' hands are very sore because I had them write many times about certain behaviors that were wrong. You'll sit there and write me 500 times that, no, I will not talk back to my mother, I will not treat my sister in this manner or whatnot, and they have to be straight lines, all 500. If there's a crooked line, then you start over again. You know, and so therefore, and you sit there until you're done, and I usually pick a nice sunny day to do it. And uh, where it's nice out where, you have, where they have to do things. And they, when you're done, you can go. But it's got to be done right. And so, they, so there's ways. P- put your minds, your heads together. There are ways uh, to uh, discipline that is wise and good and amends behavior. Gets the right thoughts into your children's heads and hearts so they do what is right. But don't resort to the ridiculous things some of the the world tells you when it comes to discipline it just I mean nothing so much grieves me as when I see a mother screaming at her kid in the food store because her kid's pulling off all the boxes of the sweetest cereal that they can find and putting it into the cart and and then she's yelling at them at the top of her lungs and the kid realizes that her yelling is drives him to the floor and is kicking on the floor all you, all, you know what I think in my head, all you have to do is learn how to rein that in by discipline, and that behavior will be gone three times. Three times, it depends on the will of the child, it'll be done. Right? Do you believe that? See, as Christians, do you believe that? Because if you don't, you won't do it. But if you believe it, and you believe that God's word is true, and God's word is not only true, but it works... then you'll implement it in your life and you'll help other people to implement, um, implement it in their life. So what do we learn from, from this morning? Well, I think we learn at least several things. Number one, suffering is really God's, mean of, God's means of discipline. I mean, I'm meaning the corporal discipline part of it. It's necessary in God's school of training. Why? So that the disciple becomes mature and fruit-bearing. That's why it is necessary. So in Hebrews... We have the same thing happening. God wants us to have a vibrant faith. He wants us to live a holy life. So the God, the ruler of the universe, permits suffering to fall on all men indiscriminately. But God, the God of mercy, stands by to make the suffering God's love instrument in training every one of his children until they amend their behavior. So the same stroke may fall on two different people, one for judgment, one for discipline, but nonetheless, God will use what he needs to use in your life. It may be different than it is in my life. It may be for a different reason than for your life, but he will use whatever he needs to use to bring us to the place where we amend our behavior. Second thing is that discipline 
slash suffering proves God's fatherly love. It doesn't prove that God's against us. It proves God's for us. And he has our good in mind. So when God disciplines us through suffering, it is a sign of his love for us, not with unfairness or anger or indifference. None of those things are included, but for one to learn from the pressure that is applied to them. And then, that's why when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, it says, but if you are without discipline, of which I have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, I can proclaim this with confidence as you sit here this morning. Whatever the providence may be that turns your joy to grief, it is the chastising hand of God. And God will keep you there. He will keep you there until you learn. Also, one last thing, that discipline, suffering reveals what is in your heart also. Because if I spurn the discipline, or if I look at the discipline as an, as an offense by grumbling or murmuring or bellyaching, then I'm not accepting it. So, in Proverbs, a wise son accepts the discipline of the Lord because he knows everything that goes behind it and he knows the character of his father who is implementing it in his life. And that makes all the difference, right? That makes all the difference. God's not for me. God is for me. He's not against me. So, as we submit to a loving father, an all-wise father, a father who directs us in the right way, according to the right pattern, that's wisdom. And again, David writes in Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now what? I keep your word. And then he says this in verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. See, do you see the response that David had? He had a proper response to God's discipline. It was good for me. That's what I needed. Only God could have done that in my life to bring me where I'm at now. When we learn that, when we all learn that, then what happens is that we learn more to be aware of God's presence in our life. I just want to sh- end with this, that you may be asking yourself, well, Pastor, have you ever been disciplined, disciplined by the Lord? Yes, I have several times one time it was for three months Uh, and that was when I was in a church and the pastor was saying to me uh, you know uh, has God called you to preach yet I said I'm never going to preach I'm never going to get up front of people there's no way I'm doing that and I just kept every time he said that to me that's what I said to him you know and I don't know what he saw, but the thing is that I, there's no way I'm doing that. And I was in the Marine Corps for four years. I come out. I, I was never sick in the Marine Corps. I come out. I go start college. My first semester, I go to the doctors, and I had a sore throat. I said, no big deal. I'll get some antibiotics, and it'll be over with, right? The doctor says to me, uh, oh, by the way, what are, you doing, what are you doing for the next couple months? 
I says, I'm going back to school. He says, you know, you're not. I said, what do you mean, no, I'm not? I thought he was fooling around with me, right? He says, no, you're going home, and you're going to bed for at least two months. I said, what? He says, yeah, you're going to bed for two months. You're sick. You know, he gave me all these drugs to take, and so I really fought that boy. I didn't believe him. I didn't do anything like that, and so I went home, and uh, for two months, I kicked and complained and grumbled at what was going on in my life, and I stayed there. So I went back to the doctor. The doctor says, you're going, you're going home for another month, three months. So the third month, I began to think, as I'm reading through the Bible, wait a minute, maybe God's talking to me here. No, I, no, he is talking to me. And, and when, once I made that shift and started thinking about what I was doing in my life and what I was refusing to do in my life, that's when I began to get better. In fact, when I came to that point, I was in church the next week. Uh, and I said to the pastor, I said, God's called me to preach. He says, all right, Thursday, you're going to be meeting with me at the uh, mission in, on University Avenue in Newark, and you're going to be preaching there. So that's what I did for a couple of years. And so the thing is, is that, but it was, it was God's holding me there, holding me there, uh, and not letting me out until he taught me that lesson. So now when, when sickness comes or something comes into my life, the first thing I'm asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? What do you want me to get out? Who do you want me to see? I'm asking those things, right? Amen. God is good. It's all, all for the good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your people. I pray that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a very sensitive spirit to listen to you when you have to step in and discipline them as a loving father. I pray, Lord, they wouldn't make the mistake I made. I pray, Lord, that they would quickly go to you in prayer, prayerful examination, and that you would show them what they need to drop off, what sin they need to repent of, or whatever you're calling them to do in their life, and I pray that you would show them clearly and bless them, and I pray you would help them to respond, not in a way where they reject your discipline or loathe it, but in a way they accept it. Do that for all of us, Lord, for we know that it will be more than one time you discipline us. I just pray, Lord, you would make us more sensitive to your your the word of God and to what you're doing in our lives so we can be used uh, effectively in the kingdom and the building of your church. Thank you again for being such a good heavenly father to us, such a kind heavenly father, such a long-suffering heavenly father. And thank you, Father, that you didn't withhold the greatest gift, your own son, to die in our place so we can be set free from the wrath of God and we can be made right with you based on our Lord's righteousness and not our own and we can have a relationship with you in the family of God so thank you Lord again it proves to us when we're disciplined that we truly are your children and we thank you for this in Christ's name Amen